Good morning, Abundant Life. If you're uh, here with us for the first time today, you picked a great Sunday to hang with us. We are actually beginning a new series uh, called Next, Figuring Out What God Wants for My Life. And it's a series where we're just going to uh, unpack and give to you a paradigm for how to how to really walk in what God has for us. And all of us have asked that question from time to time. I'm excited to begin this journey with you. It'll take us through the end of June. If you have your devices, please click on your Bible apps and meet me in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, by the way, if you're new uh, to church or you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian, uh, you just need to know that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are four biographies on the life of Jesus, uh, whenever you see words written in red, and many, not all, but many translations do it that way, uh, whenever you see words written in red, these are the words of Jesus. Such is the case with John 10, beginning in verse 1. This is Jesus talking when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, verse 6, Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to me. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, verse 10, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is, makes note of, make note of this phrase, a hired hand. And not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. By the way, when he talks about sheep who are not of this fold, he's talking about Gentiles. So Jesus, who is a Jew, uh, is talking in a primarily Jewish context. Uh, and so up until that time, the flock were primarily Jew Jewish. But now Jesus says, uh, because I'm going to die on the cross, lay down my life, there will be Jew and Gentile, which means the body of Christ is not homogenous. It's Jew and Gentile, people from every walk of life. That's why I love abundant life, multi-ethnic body. The sheep look different, but we all have the same thing in common, Jesus Christ. For this reason, verse 17, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? 
Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, Father, speak to us, I pray. And I ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen and amen. Um, all of us in this room, I'm guessing you, we, we have cell phones. And for most of us uh, who have cell phones, we have a particular kind of cell phone called a smartphone, all right? So if you've got a little flip phone, I want to welcome you to 2017, all right? Come out of 1999 and on into 2017. But on our smartphones, again, you, you, you guys know how this works. We have um, uh, a wonderful list of applications that's been given to us. Uh, as it relates to just how to navigate life. And these things are really helpful. These applications are apps. Like when, so I went to Bible college, like I told you, I, I went to Bible college to get out of math, not good at math. Don't judge me. I know I'm in Silicon Valley. Most of y'all have PhDs in math. That's not me. Uh, so my kids are about 10 years of age. They hit fractions. I tapped out, said, you, I can't help you, but there's an app for that. Praise the Lord. All right. So we download the app, help them make it, make their way through it. Um, and uh, so apps are just, I mean, just wonderful. I mean, so, you know, they, they literally help you with directions. Remember back in the day, some of us older people, when we needed directions somewhere, we would literally write down, turn left here, turn right there, and then praise God for MapQuest. MapQuest came along. Anybody remember MapQuest? And we're running off, copying off sheets of paper. That gives us direction. Um, Y'all looking at me like, like I'm short or something. Y'all know about MapQuest, uh, but anyways, so, um, but, but now, like, I got to fly to uh, L.A. right after service, and I, I'm going to get my rental car, drive out and see my buddy out in the valley there, and I've already got his address. I'm just going to put it into Google Maps. Boom. I've got direction. This, app's, this app is going to literally navigate my way to my friend's house. Or back in the day, if you were in a city you'd never been to before, you didn't know anything about the restaurants, it was kind of hit or miss, praise God now for Yelp. All right, and if you're going, I want some great sushi, you can put in kind of the radius, it'll just tell you. And if you're a single person and you want to go out with a nice Christian girl with a Christian name like Rebecca, you can download, download Christian Mingle, all right? You don't want Bathsheba or Jezebel, Rebecca's good, but you can just download that app, all right? And uh, next thing you know, you're eating sushi with Rebecca, all right? And so these apps are amazing and wonderful, but not only do we have these apps, this wonderful content that helps us to navigate. Navigate us. If you've got an iPhone, you, you've got something a lot more personal, a person called Siri. Now, Siri is great because Siri will actually do stuff for you. Like if you're driving around and you, you go, Siri, play Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice, you know, you, she can hook you up not registering. I understand. Um, so, um, you know, uh, so she can do all those things, give you quick guidance that's very personal uh, and applicable to where you are. Now, here's what I want you to understand. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you the mother load of all apps. It's called the Word of God. It is a timeless, true principle. It is rich with timeless truths that help us to navigate our steps. In fact, Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Talks about by listening to and obeying the word of God, that when we just follow what's in this book, uh, our way is made straight. But not only that, when you got saved, God placed within you his divine Siri called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit actually helps to guide you, talk to you, navigate you, take you from place to place, take you from glory to glory, dimension to dimension. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God is saying, look, I've outfitted you with everything you need 
to live the kind of life I am calling you to live. You don't need to dial a 1-900 number. You don't have to worry about you know, whether or not you missed the latest episode or your favorite talk show host who's going to give some kind of pearl of wisdom. Everything you need between the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, that covers it all. That absolutely covers it all. Now, today we're going to begin a series called Next, Figuring Out What God's Will Is For My Life. And it's very important. I want you to hang in here with me on this series because here's our problem. Our problem is all of us in this room, we have encountered specific situations and scenarios in life that we're going, man, I don't, I don't have a chapter and verse for that. Like in 1998, when I saw my wife, PYT, sitting in church, man, fell in love with her. PYT, that's an act. I'm just so losing y'all today. Um, Michael Jackson. But when I saw her sitting in church, and then we're falling in love with one another, and I'm going, man, unless she's into killing cats and I don't know about it, I think she's the one for me. Um, And so here I am just falling in love with her, but I'm going, there's not a chapter and verse in the Bible that tells me Corey Benavides is the girl you need to marry. You with me on that? Or, or some of you are high school students about to, to graduate, and you're going, man, I got, got these wonderful opportunities. Is it Stanford? Is it Yale? Uh, it, what, what, what is it? There's not a chapter and verse that's going to tell you that. And you're going, what do I do next? Or some of you are going, man, I love the Bay, absolutely love the Bay, uh, but I've got this opportunity uh, to advance in my career, but that only comes maybe if I move outside the Bay. And what do I do with that? Or maybe some of you are going, I'm, I'm a college student and I'm about to graduate. Do I, do I go off to the marketplace and go right into my field of expertise? Or do I, uh, do I get more schooling? Do I get the MBA? Do, or do I go on and get the doctorate right now? There's not a chapter and verse that's going to specifically tell you that. So you're just going, what's, what's next for me? Or maybe you're, you're husband and wife and you're, you're going, are, are we done having kids? And maybe mom was like, oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're done. God spoke to me on that one. And maybe the husband's like, I'm not so sure, but you're like, how do we get into agreement on this? Literally what's next? Or, or maybe you're going, man, do we adopt? Do we add another biological? What is the chapter and verse? And you're going, obviously there's not a chapter and verse on that. I've got all of these questions. And all of us sitting in here, we've got these questions about navigating life and what does this thing look like and, and, and what's the next step that I need to take. And I want you to hang in here with us because over the course of this series, I'm going to give you everything you need as it relates to a practical paradigm to walk in wisdom and to experience dimensions of the will of God that God wants you to experience. Hear me, we walk by faith, not by sight, but I really believe that when it comes to God's will for your life, even though you may not know all the X's and O's, God does not want you to be left in the dark. God has a specific will for your life. He's got a specific assignment for your life. Your mom and daddy may not have planned on you being here. And by the way, if your next sibling is a decade older than you, you is a surprise. But hear me, you are not a surprise to God. God has willfully created you and has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life. And how can God hold you accountable to something that he's never unveiled to you? I believe God is speaking. Our problem is not with God speaking. God doesn't have a speech impediment. Our problem is with our hearing, with our listening. So next week, I'm going to tell you how to position yourself to hear the voice of God. 
But as we begin with this great series on, on how do I figure out what's next with my life, as we begin in this series, I, I think we need to begin with a little phrase, and I want you to write this down. If you don't, if you don't catch this, you're going to miss the whole message today. Write it down in the margin of your Bible, your notes app, whatever it may be. We got to begin with, with what I'm calling friendship with God. Friendship with God. Here's our problem when it comes to the will of God. As I talk to so many Christians as it relates to the will of God, so many Christians, this is how they approach it. They're kind of living their life, living their life, living their life, living their life. They may pray occasionally, but they're living their life, living their life, living their life. Then all of a sudden a crisis happens and you pull the emergency brake. Everything stops. You go, I got to hear from God. I want you to understand that's, that's not the optimal way. When we talk about friendship with God, the way friendship with God works is the same way friendship in the natural works. There's this daily communication. There's talking and listening and talking and listening and talking and listening. And most Christians are really skilled at monologuing with God, but not dialoguing with God. Are you with me on this? Now, I know I'm going to freak some of y'all out on this, but, but I just want you to hang, hang in there with me. I believe that God is a personal being, and when he saved you, he called you into a personal relationship. And I don't know how you have a personal relationship with someone you can't hear from. So God is speaking, and we've got to learn how to hear him. And there's some things that God is speaking to you all in, and we've got to clear away the, the spiritual earwax. That's a gross analogy. But we, we've got to position ourselves. I should have probably said sugar daddy or something. But we, we got to position ourselves to hear clearly from God. So, so what does that look like? As you notice in our text, John chapter 10, verse 1, it begins with Jesus talking. Uh, commentators tell us that you can't understand Jesus' words in John 10 without understanding what he is referencing, which takes us back to John 9. John chapter 9, there's a man, he was born, um, he was blind uh, from the earliest days of his life. Uh, he's a man who's in the synagogue. Jesus comes up to him one, one day and he heals him and he heals him on the Sabbath. The religious leaders lose their mind. How dare he heal, heal, heal someone on the Sabbath? This is classic legalism, and we talk about this all the time. Le the legalist is the person who makes the issue bigger than the person. So they can't rejoice in the healing. They're just a referee throwing the flag, calling a foul. Legalists are really good at throwing the flag. That's what a referee does. Referee ain't a part of the game. They just exist to make sure the rules are implemented. So many spiritual referees within the house of God. We love pointing out the faults in other people, taking out the speck in other people's eyes, but not dealing with the log in our own eye. Y'all quiet now. Preach, pastor. Preach. I'm preaching. There are so many legalists in the church of Jesus Christ today. And Jesus Christ, what he's, what he's got an allergic reaction to, if you really want to see Jesus get upset, it's with legalistic people who don't know how to rejoice, who don't know how to relax. They're always pointing out, they're judgmental, they're condemning, always pointing out what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. By the way, one of the things that struck me, I was a huge Michael Jackson fan, so much so growing up, I wanted the Jerry Curl. Thank God dad told me no. Because <laughs> uh, someone would have put that on Instagram and I'd have been very upset. But so one of the things, you ever heard Michael Jackson refer to his dad? He never, he never called him dad or father. He always called him Joseph. 
And, and part of the reason why, if you uncover their story, when Michael Jackson and his brothers are first learning to dance, his, his father would teach them choreography, teach them how to do the steps. And Michael says, my dad would do it with a belt in hand. And if I missed a step, he was there to, to execute judgment on me. Watch it now. What did that produce? It produced a person who learned how to do the steps, but at the same time, a person who learned how to do the steps without an intimate relationship with their father. So many Christians, you know how to do the steps, but you don't have an intimate relationship with your father. Under my watch, this is not going to be a church that just knows how to do the steps. This needs to be a church that has an intimate relationship with their father. When my kids were learning how to walk, I mean, it was clear everything away. They're taking their first couple of steps. And sure enough, after about step six, bam. Now, what did I do? I didn't go, idiot. I didn't do that. I hugged him. Okay, you fell. You okay? Pick him up. That's okay. Let's try it again. That's how our father does us. We miss steps. We fall. But he's not there with a belt in hand waiting to exact judgment on us. He's there as a loving father to pick us up and to say, try it again and try it again. Holy Spirit, get the camera. Let's tweet this out. Let's Instagram it. They're taking steps. So this is what we have here. Jesus' reaction in our text is, is very telling. On the one hand, Jesus is tough. You know what he says about these religious leaders? He, he calls them hired hands. Ooh, I could preach a whole message on this. As hired hands, they're not interested in the sheep. They're just in it for the money. They're just in it for a platform. They're just in it for the notoriety. They're just in it for a paycheck. They are hired hands. Problem with so many pastors today, hired hands. Hired hands. They're in it for the bling. Uh, we see them on TV a lot. Not every pastor on TV is a hired hand. Please hear me for what it is. But I got a, pa- I got a problem with pastors on television with $5,000 cufflinks, $10,000 watches, begging you to give money to their ministry. Well, how about you take off one of them cufflinks and donate the $5,000? I think that'll answer your financial difficulties. They're hired hands. Hired hands. And Jesus says, here are these individuals, religious leaders, supposed to be watching the sheep, and you can't even rejoice over the healing. And when they get healed, you kick them out of the synagogue because they got healed on the Sabbath? Ain't that something? Hired hands. If, If there's one thing I want you to pray for me, pray that that spirit of being a professional hired hand never enters into me. God hasn't called me to be a CEO. He hadn't called me to be some executive who sits in his office and just dream up visionary plans. I need to be with the sheep. Pastors need to smell like sheep. So on the one hand, Jesus is tough, but on the other hand, he's incredibly tender. He's tender because by implication, he's talking about him being the good shepherd. He's talking about his flock, the flock that he cares for. This blind man who's now entered in through the door is a part of that flock. Jesus is tough and tender. I wish I had time to talk about this, but I'm not going to go into detail. I think this is what every believer should go after, the perfect balance and incarnation of being tough and tender. By the way, all of us in this room right now, you're wired towards one uh, extreme to another. Some of you, like me, you're just tough. Um, And you just, man, you just, you can just say things, punch someone in the mouth, truth, 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 but you just leave folk bleeding. But on the other hand, some of you are so tender, you never get around to the truth and the tough part and the hard conversations. 
We need that balance, toughness and tenderness, toughness and tenderness, toughness and tenderness. As we come to our text, there's two major metaphors. Jesus uses. In fact, if you just make your way through the Gospel of John, uh, in fact, whenever I shared my faith with people who don't know Christ, I always tell them, start with the Gospel of John. Don't start in Genesis, because come at Leviticus, you will die a slow and painful death. Start in John. All right? John is a great place to start. One of the things that Jesus does in the Gospel of John, he gives what's called the seven I am statements. Two of those I am statements are found right here in the text. Verse 7, for example, uh, Jesus says, I am the door. As the door, hear me now, Jesus is saying, I am the only way to relationship with God. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, not I am a way, but Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, I just moved here to the Bay, and there's many ways to get to downtown San Francisco, many freeways I can take there, many side streets I can take there. But when it comes to heaven, there's only one way to get there. That's through the door, Jesus Christ. Listen, some of you are here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, and I'm so thankful you're here. I'm so thankful that you're hanging out with us. But I just want you to be careful. There's a lie going around in our culture. It's called pluralism. Pluralism says there's multiple ways to God. That you can be a good Muslim, you can be a good Buddhist, you can be a good Mormon, you can be a good whatever, you can make up kind of whatever you want to make up. I was sharing my faith with an individual not too long ago on a plane, and I was like, well, tell me, you know, you say you're spiritual, what does that mean? He goes, well, you know, I hang out at the Mormon temple one day, and I hang out with my Muslim friends the other day, and sometimes I, I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray, and what was obvious is he made that up. He made it up. Now, here's here's what you need to understand. There's a law called the law of non-contradiction, and it simply says this. Two opposing truths cannot both be true. So you can't say there's multiple ways, and Jesus say there's one way, and both be right. See, here's what I want you to understand about Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, and then Jesus makes some crazy statements. Later on in John chapter 10, he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus actually claimed to be God. Now, here's what C.S. Lewis said, great mid-20th century writer. He says, Jesus is either Lord, lunatic, or liar. He doesn't give you the option to just say, decent guy. I don't know about you, but if someone were to come to me and say, I'm God, either, either they are God or they are a lunatic. There's no middle ground there. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm glad you're here. Keep coming. But what I want you to understand is what Jesus is saying is in contradistinction to what the culture says. Culture says many ways. Jesus says only way. And you're backed into a corner. You're at a fork in the road in which you've got to choose. Either he is who he said he is or he's a liar. Jesus says, I am the door, the only way. Next, inching closer to your neighborhood, the predominant metaphor in our passage isn't Jesus Christ as the door, which is a picture of salvation. But once you get into that door, Jesus says, I'm also the good shepherd. As the good shepherd, what does that mean? That is the predominant image in our text. In our text, 19 times, Jesus talks about sheep, shepherd, or sheepfold. Once you're in the door, you're now part of his flock. And as a part of his flock, he's the one who, as the good shepherd, nurtures you, feeds you, cares for you, guides you, protects you, watches over you. And in, in, in essence, as the good shepherd, he has an intimate relationship with you. Now, here's the tragedy with so many Christians. So many Christians know Christ as the door, but don't intimately experience him on a day-to-day basis as their shepherd. Sort of like so many marriages. So many marriages have phenomenal wedding days. 
but mediocre marriages. You put all this money and all this expense and all this stuff into the wedding day. And ladies, don't even get me started. You know, all this money on a dress you're going to wear one time. I rented my tux. How come you can't rent your wedding dress? I know I just, I know amens on that one. I understand. But all this money on wedding days. And, and, and the idea here is the wedding day is like the door, but the marriage, that's where the intimacy should happen. So many Christians know Christ as the door, but don't intimately experience him as their good shepherd. Let me get closer to your neighborhood. In Jesus' day, shepherds started out young. In fact, some of us in this room, we know a story in the Bible of David in 1 Samuel 16. When we first meet David, David's probably around the age of 13, and he's a shepherd. That was kind of the typical age of shepherds. They started out young, and starting out young, they began this intimate relationship with the sheep. In fact, the average shepherd actually named his sheep. I've been to Israel. I've been on hiking tours across Israel. I know as a black man, I shouldn't hike, but you understand that. I've been on hiking tours across Israel. And... Um, Watch the Discovery Channel, not too many of us on the Discovery Channel. But anyways, here I am hiking across Israel, and one of the things I would always see, it would just freak me out, is you would see several flocks together with several shepherds. So one time I even saw several flocks inside of a cave, and I'm going, this is a logistical nightmare. What happens when one of the flocks need to leave? And I remember seeing one day a shepherd out of several shepherds getting up and making a call, and all of his flock and only his flock left. Jesus pulls on that image in our text when he says, my sheep know my voice. Jesus is, uh, John's writing in a language called Greek. The Greek word for know is the word oida. O oida, watch it now. It doesn't speak of a knowledge that comes by studying. It doesn't come, speak of a knowledge that comes by reading. It's an intuitive knowledge. It's, it's that knowledge, Elder Arshel, that, that knows it in its knower. It's sort of like the knowledge some of us had when we fell in love with our spouse and we just said, I, I know they're the one, even though we hadn't got engaged yet. It is an intuitive knowledge. Watch what Jesus says. If you are legitimately mine, when I speak, you hear my voice, you know it. In other words, there's a good, strong case for a believer who calls himself a Christian but ends up buying into stuff that's of the world and listening to the voice of the world and doesn't know and follow the voice of their own shepherd. He says, my sheep, intuitively, when I speak, you know it in your knower. There's something in you that just resonates. This is God speaking to you. Friends, I'm here to tell you, you can know that. And next week, we're going to talk about how to position yourself so that you know it in your knower. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. There's a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. He wrote a wonderful book. In fact, I love it so much, I've actually ordered it. Uh, it's going to be available in our resource center next week. Uh, it's called Hearing God. But Dallas Willard uh, was a Ph.D. who taught ethics at the University of Southern California for years. He's since died and gone on to be with the Lord. Read everything he's ever written. Uh, his book, The Divine Conspiracy, was one of the top 50 Christian books of the 20th century. Well worth your time. But listen to what he says. 
God has created us for intimate friendship with himself, both now and forever. This is the Christian viewpoint. The ideal for hearing from God is finally determined by who God is, what kind of beings we are, and what a personal relationship between ourselves and God should be like. Our failure to hear God has as its deepest roots in its failure to understand, accept, and grow into a conversational relationship with God. The sort of relationship suited to friends who are mature personalities in a shared enterprise, no matter how different they may be in other respects. I want to be clear. God's primary way of talking to us is from his word. It is his primary way. I always get a little concerned about new believers who just got saved past Monday, but all of a sudden they're talking about how God's been speaking to them audibly uh, a week later. That, that scares me. Why? Because you need the word of God to help you to discern whether or not it was really God speaking to you or the pizza you ate last night. You need to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. So if you don't know at least five scriptures, I'm a little concerned when you start talking about the Lord told you. You with me on that? So you need to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. And what is the word of God saying to you here? But on the other hand, some of you are a little weirded out here because you have subscribed to a theology that says God doesn't speak to us audibly. Here's what I would ask. Show me the chapter and verse that says that. You won't find it in the Bible. You won't find it. Instead, here's what you find in almost every book from Genesis through Revelation, we see God speaking. Sure, he speaks to prophets and leaders, but he also speaks to business people like Abraham and Daniel. He speaks to parents like Samson's. He speaks to nobodies like Mary from the little town of Nazareth. God speaks. In fact, Elijah says that God speaks in the still and small voice. God speaks, God speaks, God speaks. In John 14, Jesus said this. Will you look at it with me? John 14, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Later on, he says, It is the Holy Spirit who will actually guide you. Now, I'm going to make a statement that's going to make y'all want to call a congregational meeting and fire me. If God, if Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to guide you, he's going to speak to you, he's going to teach you, then what is he saying here? Ready for the statement? The word of God is not enough. Hear me. Word of God infallible. Word of God it's inspiring. It is inerrant. It is the primary voice of God. But it, if, if that was the only thing we needed to be taught and guided, why the Holy Spirit? Why the Holy Spirit? See, what the Holy Spirit does is he works in tandem with the Word of God. He pulls the Word of God, those timeless truths and principles, and he says, Brian, here's how you apply the Word to this specific situation and scenario in life. He will always teach you from the Word of God, but you need both. You need both. For most Christians, your functional trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. It's not the Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit takes the Scripture. So it's, it's like this. I love to fish. Absolutely love it. My father, when I was a little boy, taught me how to fish. 
remember standing on the banks of some, you know, creek or, or riverbed there in, um, in Atlanta, Georgia. My dad, time I was a little boy, he, he showed me timeless truths of fishing, how to bait the hook, how to cast, how to reel. He taught me all of those things. A couple years ago, I went fishing in Jackson Hole. When I went fishing in Jackson Hole, hired me a guide. This guy didn't teach me the timeless truths. He took the timeless truths I had already learned. And what he did was he says, we're going to go to this river at this time of day. I want you to cast on that side because that side is at this time of day is most conducive for your success. In other words, he took the timeless truths and he applied it in specific ways that resulted in my success. That's the Holy Spirit. He's your guide. He takes the timeless truths and he says, here's how you apply it. So we got to learn how to walk with the spirit. We talk so much about God. We talk so much about Jesus Christ. And what the enemy has done is he has sought to tell us, oh, the Holy Spirit is just for charismatics. It's just for Pentecostals. It's just for those people out there down the street, around the corner. No, it's for every believer. Every for every believer. So get to know him. He's living inside of you. He's your roommate. He's there accessible to you. And you've got to learn how to access his power. So many homes have got what's called motion detector lights. Motion detector lights are a great energy saving deal. What happens when you walk into the room, it detects your presence and now the power is available to you. But you don't get that until you walk in the room. The Holy Spirit is your motion detector light. Power available, but you've got to access it by walking in his power, by even asking him, Spirit, speak to me on this. I need help. I need guidance. Yeah, I'm filling out these applications, but before I turn them out, I'm just going to lay hands on them right now. And Spirit, just speak to me. Spirit, shut the doors you want shut. Open the doors you want open. Speak to me. All right, I guess you won't call the congregational meeting at the end of service. That's what the Holy Spirit Spirit does. So what does the voice of God do? Let's go home on this one. I'm going to give you three quick things the voice of God does for us. Voice of God protects us. Voice of God gives us freedom. Voice of God gives us abundance. Let's sprint quickly through this. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door, I am the door, I am the door, I am the door of the sheep. Being a shepherd back then is not a job you wanted. Part of the reason why that, uh, why that was is you had to deal with predators, and these predators were salivating to just have their way with these helpless, harmless, vulnerable sheep. By the way, that's why you never see any high school basketball team with the mascot of sheep. Sheep just aren't aggressive, they're passive. They're docile. Like you haven't heard of the Los, Los Altos High sheep. Ooh, you're scaring people when you walk in there. These docile, vulnerable creatures, right? And so here you have these predators who would love to get them. And so what you had was the sheepfold. Most sheepfolds uh, didn't have a gate or, or, a, um, or a door. So what the shepherd would literally do at nights is he would lay down in the entrance of the door and literally put his life on the line in between the shepherd, in between the sheep and would-be predators. That's what Jesus says, I do. As your shepherd, I literally put myself in harm's way before you. I protect you. Something else you need to understand, though, is shepherds back then were really skilled with a slingshot and a stone. 
In fact, David was a shepherd, and we understand, many of us have heard the story of David and Goliath, how he takes these five smooth stones, and he's able to kill Goliath. It is said of shepherds in Jesus' day that the average shepherd could take his slingshot with a stone and could hit a hare from at least 30 to 40 yards away. They were skilled. Sheep are not the most intelligent creatures. They're prone to wander prone to wander. So every now and then what will happen is sheep will start grazing, wandering. The shepherd will call, the shepherd will call, the shepherd will call, the shepherd will call. The sheep will hear, but it's just bent on doing its own thing. When that would happen, here's what the shepherd would do. He would take his stone in his slingshot and he would aim it from many yards away. He'd aim it for like an inch or two past that sheep's nose to startle that sheep and to get that sheep's attention, bringing it back. God speaks And oftentimes he speaks to us through circumstances that startle us. Things that come out of the blue. That's why when anything shocking ever happens to you, you should always pause and at least ask the question, God, what are you saying to me? Have I been wandering? Is Is this God aiming his slingshot right past my nose to get my attention? so that I can go back to where I need to be. He protects us. Some of us, though, have an allergic reaction to the voice of God because maybe you grew up in a house like mine. I grew up in a house where it felt like the default answer to every question was no. Every time I heard mama's voice, it was no. So I'd walk into the the kitchen, mama, can I? No. But mama, I haven't even said, boy, did you hear what I said? Uh, but, but, But mama, go to your room, okay? So some of us grow up into that, and so what do we do is we, we, we take that paradigm and attach it to God, and we think that, that God's voice is only, he only tells us what we don't want to do, sends us to only places we don't want to go to, that somehow, way, God's voice is restrictive. It's not what the Word of God teaches about the voice of God. In fact, will you look at verse 3 again with me? It says, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, And he calls his own sheep by name, I love this, and leads them out, leads them out. Here they are in the sheepfold, this confined space. They've literally been on top of each other all night long. They're in this tight space, and all of a sudden they hear the shepherd's voice. What does the shepherd do? He opens up the gate, leads them out, leads them out from a tight space to an open space so they can graze, have pasture under under the careful watch of the shepherd. In other words, he takes them from constriction into freedom. That's what the voice of our shepherd does. So anybody that knows me knows I'm, I'm pretty impatient. I'm a ready, fire, aim kind of a guy. I want to get things done. I'm really impatient except for when it comes to travel. I don't ever want to hear the voice of the pilot. <laughs> Ma'am, I'm, I'm good not hearing from you for the whole trip. But there are times when I've heard the voice of the pilot sitting on the runway and the pilot say something to the effect of, got some bad news, we've got um, bad mechanical issues, and we're going to be delayed for a couple hours because we've got to get this part from somewhere. Last time I heard that person next to me, oh gosh, I'm like, what, what are you tripping off of? Like, what's the option? To just take off? <laughs> like, Relax. Like, I'm good. Do what you need to do. If you got to go to Dubai to get the part and I got to wait 12 hours, I'm going to wait 12 hours. If that's my option, I'm willing to hear the voice of the pilot tell me something I may not like now if it's for my long-term joy, freedom, protection, and safety later. 
That's what the voice of your father does. Sometimes he tells you things you may not like now. And some of us go into this. <sighs> God says, okay, you want that option? Only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had. So God's going to say, I'm just, yeah, I know you wanted that relationship to work. See, some of us, God's going to show us the big screen TV when we get to heaven of what would have happened if he'd have said yes to our prayers and we'd have married him or married her. And you're going to be like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. So sometimes God has to tell us a temporary no for a long-term yes. And we may not like it now, but we have to trust that the good shepherd is just that. He's good and he's for our long-term freedom. Now, how do I know the voice of God? One word, wait. There's a weightiness, W-E-I-G-H-T. There's a weightiness to the voice of God. Let, let, me, let me show you how this relates to freedom. Just this week as I'm preparing this message, um, so here's what you need to understand. Um, a couple years ago, this guy really betrayed me, just betrayed me. Church folk can be a trip sometime. Can, can I get an amen on that? Church folk, if any church needs to amen that one, it's, but church folk can just be a trip sometime. And this guy just, just wronged me, wronged me, wronged me. And, 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 and I followed the word of God, tried to work it out with him, but we got nowhere. So hadn't heard from him in two and a half years. Every single week I'm praying though, I'm praying for this person and I'm praying God do something here. This week, as I'm preparing this message, Early in the morning, I get a message from him. Hadn't heard from him in two and a half years. He said, man, I've just been thinking about you. I want to extend an olive branch to you, um, you know, just hoping we can get back on track. And my initial thought was, oh, yeah, I got some thoughts about how we can get back on track. <laughs> Let me put this little email together and give you a long list of stuff that you did to me that you need to go to God about. And I was just going to write him an email. And something in me just said, pray. By the way, that's, that's, that's a good word of advice. Before you tweet, before you post on Instagram, before you send the email, just pray. Just pray. So I prayed and I asked God to speak to me. A couple hours later, I'm, I'm, I'm right up here um, at Whole Paycheck, I mean Whole Foods. And um, um, and I'm in the spices aisle, literally in the spices aisle. And I hear the voice of God say to me, don't make it hard for him. Do you know how much humility it had to take on his end to even send you the message? Don't send him no long email. Just don't make it hard for him. So I literally sent him a three-line thing back. I forgive you. Thank you for your note and scripture reference. You know what happened when I listened to the voice of God then? And I knew it because there was a weightiness to it. I felt at that moment when I hit send, and obeyed the voice of God, I felt like my soul lost about 39 pounds. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Some of y'all are bound because God's been speaking, you just haven't been obeying. There's a weightiness on you and you're not knowing the freedom of God because, because you're not obeying the voice. Let, let me tell you how God's voice works. Why would God speak to you over here if he's been speaking to you here and you haven't been obeying him here? 
So why would God tell you more if with the little he has told you, you haven't been obeying him? Preach, pastor. Preach. Preach. So as we, here's, here's what the voice of God does. As we obey the voice, here's what I've learned in my own life. As I've obeyed the voice of God, it's, it's, it's amazing. The volume gets turned up a little bit more. I get more clarity. Obey some more, it gets turned up a little bit louder. Obey some more, it gets turned. When I disobey, it gets turned down and turned down and turned down. If you want to hear more, obey more. Finally, Jesus says in John chapter 10, the enemy has come, thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's where our name comes from, abundant life. But I have come that you might have life. I love that. Greek word for life. Two Greek words for life. Bios, from which we get biology from. Let's go home on this one. Bios speaks of inhaling and exhaling. That's bios. He doesn't use bios. He uses Zoe. Zoe speaks of a quality kind of life, a life rich with meaning and value and substance. The problem with too many people in our world today, they have bios, but not Zoe. They're inhaling and exhaling. They got the Teslas. They got the Range Rovers. They've got the Audis. Maybe you've even driven here to great cars, but you've got all that stuff. But here's the crazy maker. You're still going, something's missing. And what's missing is Zoe. You've got, Jesus says, I haven't just come for you to just breathe. I've come for you to really live. There's a dimension of life that I want. Now watch this. We love this verse. Those of us who grew up in the church, we love John 10.10. But let me drop it in its appropriate context. And its appropriate context is sheep following the shepherd, listening to the voice of God. And when I listen to the voice of God, now I'm experiencing Zoe. Now I've got abundance. Now I've got blessings tied up into my obedience. You can only get that not by tithing your way into it. How many preachers have I heard preach this passage? If you want your abundance, give more. Give me a break. If you want your abundance, follow your shepherd. Listen to his voice. Walk in obedience. So this is what we have in the garden. It's a perfect example of the garden. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. God creates the garden. He says, this is abundance. This is the place of blessing. Adam and Eve exercise dominion over it. All these trees have at it. Pomegranates, uh, oranges, apples have at it. Just one thing, one, one tree. Just leave that one alone. Listen to my voice. What happens? Chapter 3, the enemy comes. What do they decide to do? They question the voice of God. They don't listen to the voice. Instead, they listen to the enemy. What happens? He steals, kills, and destroys. Death enters in, they get removed from the garden. Why? Because they refuse to listen to the voice of God. How many of us know the personal hell we could have avoided if we would have just listened to the voice of God? God says, I have abundance, blessing. Now, whose voice are you going to listen to? Your voice or mine? As the band comes, this is a passage about salvation. Again, Jesus says, I am the door. Your pathway to the abundant life begins with you saying yes to God. 
God is speaking right now through the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And I love what the good shepherd does. The good shepherd on the cross laid down at the door for your life. He says, nobody took my life. I laid my life down. I gave my life for you. There's a French soldier in World War I whose arm was badly wounded. He had to have it operated on. And when he woke up, he woke up to the surgeon crying over him. The surgeon says, I'm so sorry. I had to amputate your arm. I had to take your arm. And the soldier says, stop crying. You didn't take my arm. I actually gave it for my country. Nobody took Jesus's life. He gave it for you. He laid down his life for you. And I believe there's someone here today, you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm not offering you church membership. I'm not offering you religion. I'm not offering you an institution. I'm offering you something that is living and active and intimate with a good shepherd who loves you that much, who says, I want to walk with you. I want to be in all the very uh, problems and areas of your life. I want to be the voice that guides you. And I believe right now, Jesus is speaking and someone right now you know it in your knower oida God's speaking and the Bible says the day you hear his voice harden not your heart God is speaking in just a few moments we're going to give an invitation for someone to come and know Christ as Lord and Savior for the first time and I believe you're going to come But I also want to give a call. I'm going to give this call every single week during this series. There's someone here today and you're going, I need God to speak to me. I need the Holy Spirit to guide me, navigate me with his word. I need the good shepherd to lead me. There's some decisions that I need to make. I know Jesus, but I need the good shepherd to speak to me. I need his voice to speak to me about a specific decision. It could be a job decision. It could be a college you know, decision. What do I major in? Or what do I do next with my life? It could be a relationship decision. It could be a finance. I need the good shepherd to speak to me. And we'd love to pray with you. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask our elders and prayer team to come meet us at the altar. And we're going to invite you to come and get prayed for. We're going to invite you to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, in the name of Jesus, save someone's soul today. Father, in the name of Jesus, you be that door and draw people into your sheepfold for the first time today in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, you, the good shepherd, speak to your sheep, Lord God. Give them wisdom. Give them clarity as it relates to this specific scenario they're wrestling with, Lord God. We do it now, and we ask you to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So would elders and prayer team come? If that's you, you just want prayer. You need someone to pray over you. There's a decision that I need to make, or you want to know Christ as Lord and Savior for the first time. Would you come? Would you come and would you heed the voice of the good shepherd? Yes, they're coming. Someone else, would you, would you come? You could be up in the balcony. Would you come? Would you come? Speak.